This podcast is brought to you by the Pro Bono Institute. PBI is a nonprofit organization that supports, enhances, and helps to transform the pro bono efforts of major law firms, in-house corporate legal departments, and public interest organizations in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. I'm your host, Nihad Mansour, Assistant Director of the Law Firm Pro Bono Project. Through its Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge and Corporate Pro Bono Challenge initiatives, Pro Bono Institute has supported hundreds of law firms and in-house legal departments that have committed to providing pro bono legal services to those in need. Currently, 135 major law firms and 191 in-house legal departments are signatories to the challenges acknowledging their institutional commitment to use their unique legal skills to make communities stronger. Both the Law Firm Pro Bono Challenge and CPBO Challenge initiatives have become industry standards. Signatories to the Law Firm Challenge have committed to provide either 3% or 5% of their total billable hours to pro bono legal services. And corporate pro bono signatories have committed to encourage at least 50% of their legal staff to pro bono. Together, signatories have provided millions of hours of pro bono services per year. Each year, the challenge signatories report on their pro bono data and note remarkable pro bono work they've done in the prior year. To highlight and showcase some of the impactful work and commitment of challenge signatories, PBI has launched the Challenge Signatory Showcase. As part of this showcase, today I'm speaking with Tim Billion, who is a partner with Robbins Kaplan, a PBI challenge signatory. In a pro bono case that has drawn national attention, Robbins Kaplan sued the federal government on behalf of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe after the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services closed the only emergency room on the Rosebud Reservation. The closure required tribal members to travel to emergency rooms 50 miles away to receive life-saving emergency treatments, placing them in serious danger. On behalf of the tribe, Robbins Kaplan attorneys argued that the closure of the emergency room violated the federal government's treaty duty to provide the tribe with adequate health care services. Keep listening to hear more about this case. Thanks, Nihad. Uh, my name is Tim Billion. I'm a partner at the law firm Robbins Kaplan, and I practice out of our Sioux Falls, South Dakota office. Can you describe the pro bono case and the legal issue, including those you partnered with, if anyone, um, the number of volunteers involved, the length of involvement, et cetera? Sure. Uh, well, this case sought to address the systemic failure to provide care at the Rosebud IHS facility. Uh, and, and for background, in late 2015, federal regulators actually shut down part of the hospital because the care was so deficient. I think in one example, a pregnant patient was told to go home and then actually deliver the baby on the floor of a clinic bathroom. And then because the hospital was shut down, patients had to be diverted to hospitals 50 miles away. There were instances of people dying, people giving birth in ambulances because they couldn't get care soon enough. So by any measure, uh, the care there was substandard. But the legal issue uh, revolved around the interpretation of the 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie that was signed by a number of tribes, including, including the Rosebud Tribe and the United States. Specifically, the United States promised to furnish annually uh, a physician and to make such appropriations from time to time as would be sufficient to employ the physician. Um, ultimately, the Eighth Circuit affirmed a decision by the federal district court that under those terms of the treaty, the federal government had an obligation to provide competent, 
physician-led healthcare to the Rosebud Sioux tribe. Now, this case was a long time in getting there. It, it took five years. It was one of the biggest pro bono undertakings in our firm's history. I went back and looked at the records. Um, 17 people worked on this case at one point in time or another. There were 11 attorneys, two paralegals, and four uh, legal administrative assistants. Collectively, those people put in thousands of hours. It was truly a team effort. So what was the most challenging part of this pro bono work, and how did you and your pro bono team overcome it? I'd say there were two primary challenges that jump out to me. The first was the sheer size of the federal government. For example, how do you take a Rule 30b-6 deposition of the United States? There's not really a practical way that the government attorneys could ever hope to prepare a witness with all of the knowledge that exists in the federal government. So ultimately, we ended up working with the U.S. Attorney's Office to identify some of the best fact witnesses topic by topic uh, that were most important to us, and then we could take those individual depositions. Uh, staff turnover did create an additional problem uh, on that front, and so this wasn't a perfect solution, but it did allow us to keep the case moving forward. The other challenge I would mention is just the complexity of the federal IHS appropriations process. Uh, first of all, this process is extremely opaque. It is difficult to understand uh, for, for everyone, including attorneys. Uh, second, due to the separation of powers, a federal court can't compel Congress to appropriate more money. Uh, appropriation of funds is a function of the legislative branch, not the courts. So even though one of the core practical problems was a lack of funding, we really decided to focus the case on the treaty duty, the interpretation of that duty, and the failure to live up to that duty. And so by staying focused on that issue and not getting into the appropriations or funding issues, um, we, we sort of avoided the, the legal and factual quagmire that would have uh, arisen had we gotten into funding. Why was this a rewarding case for you to work on? Well, this case was incredibly rewarding. Uh, it was a really interesting case. I personally feel like I learned a ton about the history of tribes on the plains, including Red Cloud's War and some other history that I just didn't know about. Um, it was professionally really rewarding. I mean, I got to handle an Eighth Circuit argument. Uh, I, I'd done other appellate arguments before, but it was my first time in front of the Eighth Circuit. Um, but most importantly, I think it was rewarding to see what a difference this made for the people of the tribe. You know, after the case was was over, we met with the tribe and at the end of the meeting, some members performed an honor song. And I'll tell you, looking around that room, listening to the song, seeing how much it meant to the people in the room to have somebody advocate on their behalf, uh, that was a moment that I will remember for the rest of my career. Um, every person in that room could tell how important that case had been and seeing what a difference it made to the tribe and its members was a really powerful experience. Wow, that's so beautiful. Was that like in person? Did you get to meet them in person? Yeah, we traveled down for a tribal council meeting and uh, reported to the tribal council, answered some questions from the, the council and tribal members about what the case meant and what might happen next. Um, and, uh, then they, you know, they did the honor song, they brought out some star quilts, um, mm. and, uh, and then there was a, a lunch afterwards. That's so beautiful. Oh, I'm sure that was so rewarding and just like being there with them in that moment to share that great news was, I'm sure that meant a lot. A lot of people shared, um, their own stories as well. People that we hadn't talked to in the course of the case, but everyone seemed to have their own story about 
what happened to them or a family member at IHS or or how they had complained about something and no one had listened. So it was it was really uh, you could see it wasn't just the people that we talked to in the progress of the case. It was a a, a community wide phenomenon. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What impact did this pro bono work have? I know you've already said some of that, but if you have any anything else to share about that. Yeah, well, obviously, uh, this win was a great win for the Rosebud tribe. Um, it's not the final step. Uh, they need to take the decision uh, and lobby Congress to live up to its promises. Um, but this also goes beyond the Rosebud tribe. There were many other tribes that signed the same treaty, and the Eighth Circuit decision would apply equally to them. So, so they can all work together with Rosebud uh, to use this decision as a tool to generate change. Um, there is a lot that this decision leaves unresolved from a policy perspective, but one thing that is crystal clear is that the judicial branch soundly rejected the government's limited interpretation of its treaty duty. And, and the decision stands for the proposition that even if promises are no longer convenient, or even if they've been repeatedly broken, the United States can't just refuse to follow them or walk away. Um, and he had one final thought that I had about the impact of this decision. You know, tribes are becoming more willing to use their sovereignty as drivers of change. This case is one example where the Rosebud Sioux tribe took a stand on behalf of all treaty tribes and they won. They used their sovereignty to force the government to keep its promises. But this case isn't the only example. If you look at the opioid litigation, there were 400 tribes that signed an amicus brief in the multi-district litigation. Uh, Robbins Kaplan, our firm, actually represented 28 of those tribes. And the tribes went on to reach, I think, about a $590 million settlement. Now, that's real money that goes to tribal communities to help them deal with the consequences of the opioid ep epidemic. But compare that to the big tobacco litigation. That was a similar case. States sued the tobacco companies. They got landmark settlements, but tribes weren't a part of that deal. They were left out. Now, here we are 20 years later, and rather than being an afterthought, the tribes are exercising their sovereignty in the same way that state attorneys general do. That's pretty incredible, and I think that's a huge change. All right, so the last question, what advice would you give other firms that want to do similar pro bono work? I would say that a lot of times in civil litigation, you know, at the end of the day, cases are about how much money is changing hands and which way it's flowing. Um, and those can be interesting cases. They can be meaningful. They're certainly important to your clients. But a case like this is, is different. I felt genuinely humbled by the opportunity to represent the tribe here. And I felt proud. It was an honor that they trusted us with this important issue. And that's a big reason why we had 17 people in our firm volunteer to work on the case. Um, I know that there are always other demands on people's time. You know, as an attorney, you have to hit your billable hours. You have to collect money. You have to bring in new clients. Uh, you have demands on your time from outside of work. I, I get all that. And I know that when you have to start budgeting time and triaging what you're going to pay attention to, it's easy to cut the pro bono hours first. So I, I would just, you know, really urge um, attorneys to, to resist that temptation as much as you can. Um, and, and more than just the hours, take on some of the challenging cases too. Absolutely. Do the free clinics and do the misdemeanor representations. But 
don't be afraid of, of tackling a big pro bono challenge every now and then. You know, two of, of the most rewarding cases that I've worked on in my career have, have both been sort of larger pro bono cases, and they can take a lot of time and effort and investment. But if you're in the position to do them, they are really worth it. I'm certainly grateful I got the opportunity to work on this case. Wonderful. Thank you. That's that's perfect. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about it today. Um, you know, it was it like I said, it was a really it was a fun case. It was an interesting case, and um, it was a really meaningful case to work on. It was uh, it it took a long time, but um, uh, we were all really happy with the result and uh, hope that it can um, carry forward in the future. Sounds like this was a big case for your firm and just like very meaningful. So all the people that worked on it. So I'm. I'm grateful that we get the opportunity to share it through a podcast and just, you know, highlight you as a signatory because you all are always doing amazing work. So <laughs> it's just one little way we can give back. And so yeah. thank you. Thanks to Tim Billion for his leadership and expertise. And special thanks to Robbins Kaplan for doing great work and being a law firm pro bono challenge signatory. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Pro Bono Happy Hour. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Pro Bono Happy Hour.